Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. Good morning again and welcome to the house of the Lord today. We're going to continue our series in the book of Philippians. So if you want to open up to Philippians chapter 4, we're in the home stretch here, Philippians. We're in the last chapter. There's still some really good uh, stuff to cover here in chapter 4 as Paul is going to do his closing statements Uh, to the church. So if you'll stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter four, starting with verse two today. I implore Yodia and I implore uh, Seneshi to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. You may be seated this morning. Uh, Paul has talked a lot here in Philippians uh, about unity he, he's talked about the importance of unity in the body of Christ, the importance of uh, disregarding false teachers and looking forward to our eternal reward, which is in heaven, that we are to strive daily to uh, live a life uh, that's pleasing to God, to be uh, conformed to the image of Christ. And here in uh, chapter 4 and verse 2, he's going to uh, follow up because all of that talk about unity that he had uh, you know, done previously here in the chapter. He's actually going to now talk about two specific ladies, and he says to them, and he's telling his readers to um, implore. He's beseeching them. He's uh, telling them to tell these two ladies to implore them, appeal to them to be of the same mind to the Lord. The Greek word there, same mind, Uh, essentially is harmony, to be in harmony with one another. What was happening here is that these two ladies, while they were clearly Christians, Paul goes on to refer to them uh, as these women labored with me in the gospel. He instructs them to work with them, uh, right? And to to help them for the church to help these ladies. But the truth of the matter is there was some disagreement there. They weren't in unity. There was disharmony. We don't know why. We don't know the reasoning. We just know that these two ladies who knew Christ as Lord and Savior, who were serving God, who had uh, been working to honor God and, and, and were uh, you know, most likely having prayer meetings and potentially hosting meetings and gatherings in their homes, something happened that they now were no longer operating in harmony. Uh, they were almost like two bickering factions. And of course, we know that happens in the church, right? You can have believers that know Christ as Lord and Savior, but then you have uh, personality conflicts. You have differences on approach, 
right, on how to do things. Uh, you have differences, uh, right, in those opinions. Uh, and so it can cause uh, division to arise. And then, of course, uh, what happens is over time as that people begin to support the person that they gravitate towards, right? And then it causes disunity in the body. And so what happens is if, if left unchecked, that body will be destroyed, right? You cannot have two warring factions within the body uh, uh, that are uh, operating in disunity and expect that body to be healthy and whole. It just doesn't work that way. And the ultimate result, unfortunately, is destruction. Paul recognizing, obviously hearing what was going on, recognizing as he's talked about earlier in Philippians, the importance of unity, esteeming others greater than yourself, humbling and serving others, not getting caught up in the bickering, right? Preferring your brother, right? So that if you have a disagreement on uh, the way that something is being done, uh, the, to decide not to allow that to uh, be a, a point of contention or hurt or pain or bitterness, but you forgive and you move on, or if someone's got a different way of doing something, go ahead and be the bigger person, right? And say, you know what? We'll do it your way. And then you do it not half-heartedly, but we do it with a smile on our face and a goodness in our hearts and do it to the best of our abilities to make sure it's successful, right? Because here's the thing. We're all people. We all have personalities. We all have different passions. We all have different talents. We all have different gifts. And that makes the body of Christ amazing, unique, and powerful. It really does. When all of those pieces, personalities, all the things that make the body of Christ so beautiful and colorful, when they're operating in unity, it is so powerful. Unfortunately, when they are not operating in unity, it is destructive. Uh, it will cause that body to implode, to explode from within. Um. You know, I, I love music. I was, uh, did band uh, my whole uh, middle and high school career, played trumpet for a long time in the church before I lost hearing in my right ear. Uh, and uh, like, I love music. I love to hear harmonies. Um, I can't sing, but I do enjoy hearing that. I love hearing all the different parts and, and everything. I love it. Uh, and, uh, but you guys got to admit that every once in a while you have the instrument that's out of tune, right? And so no matter how awesome the rest of that orchestra or the rest of that band sounds, if one instrument is out of tune, you can hear it, right? You can hear it. Even uh, folks that maybe not have the musical background, you can hear that trumpet that sounds like a duck, Right. You can hear that violin that it sounds like a string is snapped, you know, that screeches. You can hear those things if someone, if the rest of the band or orchestra is in tune and one person is out of tune, you can hear it. Right. And it makes for a very unpleasant experience while you're enjoying it. Right. The same thing in the church. We have to all be in tune and harmony right? Playing, we have different parts, but we're playing the same piece of music. Uh, and so that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be, right? But when you have two warring parties, it 
detracts and will destroy. And these two ladies, they knew Christ, but something had happened. Something bad had happened. Something had to separate them. The church was having some issues because of it. And Paul is saying to them, listen, get with these ladies. They're godly. Reason with them. Appeal to them. Let's make this right. Because if you don't make it right, there will be destruction. So to, have, to, to implore them to have the same mind as the Lord, to be in unity and harmony in Christ, recognizing that we all have the same, should have the same desire and the same goal, which is to be conform to the image of Christ and to reach this world for the lost, right? We're all brothers and sisters. He says in verse three, and I urge you also, true companion, help those women who labored with me in the good gospel with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. So he's encouraging all of the readers to please go not only to these ladies and encourage them and help reconcile the differences and to bring unity and harmony back, but also to make sure they keep laboring and supporting each other. Right? Uh, to keep working together as in the body and keep serving and keep preaching the gospel and keep meeting together to pray and keep feeding the hungry and keep serving in their community and protecting and covering each other in intercession and prayer. To keep doing all these things. Don't stop. Keep doing it. Work together. Uh, and he's just encouraging them once more as he closes out the letter to make sure that they don't stop what they're doing, no matter what the distractions are, the persecution that they were facing, the division they were facing, the false teachers, as we talked about at the end of chapter three, uh, that were continuing to try to, to infiltrate and to, to teach things that were contrary to the word of God, to the gospel that Paul had presented to them, to ignore all of those things and to remember their kingdom was in heaven. And that's why he says there, what? Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Once again, letting them know that they're all citizens in heaven, which is what he talked about there at the end of chapter three. Their name is on the ledger. Their name is in the registry, right? They are have a spot reserved, just like you and me, each of us that know Christ as Lord and Savior. We have our names written in that Lamb's book of life, and we are all, right, equal before God. We are all, salvation is that great equalizer, and we're not to consider or esteem ourselves better than anybody else, but we are to serve and humble ourselves before each other, as he said over and over again, just reminding them once more that all of our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We are not to war. We're not each other's enemies. They're not each other's enemies. We're all citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're all brothers and sisters, the adopted children of God. And we need to behave that way. Brothers and sisters bicker, but they make up. Blood is thicker than water. And the blood of Christ is what binds all of us. Right? That blood that flows to the highest mountain and flows to the lowest valley. It binds all of us. It is what equalizes us, and it's what makes us all, uh, gives us uh, all, uh, you know, harmony to work with one another. It is that thing that binds us one to another, that salvation that we've been given through the sacrifice of Christ. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say 
rejoice. Paul has now said, told the Philippians multiple times in his letter to rejoice. And that means to joy in the Lord, right? That you and I have a reason that no matter what we're seeing, no matter what we're facing in our lives, we have a, a reason to rejoice, right? We need to look at the circumstances that we're facing, the pain that maybe we're enduring, with the sickness, whatever it is that we're facing, and know that we still have a reason to rejoice because of the Lord, because of who he is. Because of what he's already done. Because of our future and our hope in him, right? That we've already talked about. All of the things that are the intangibles override the things that we face in this world. We all experience trials and triumphs, right? We all experience uh, tribulations. We all experience a time in our lives when it just seems like everything is going wrong and we're sad, and we're depressed, and we're upset, but the truth of the matter is, is that we still have a reason to rejoice, and that reason is why my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I am a child of God, I am a son of the King, and I am a, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and that trumps everything else in my life because the world may reject me, man may reject me, I may have health issues, I may experience pain, but Jesus Christ sits upon the throne, and he loves me, and he saved me, and I have a purpose in him. It's greater than what I see with my eyes. It's greater than what I experience in my body. It's greater than all of those things. My eyes are to be directed towards Father, the Father God in heaven, focusing on him and what he's already done and what he's promised to do. Things may never get better here on earth, but I know what I'm looking forward to. I am looking forward to one day walking on those streets of gold, right? I'm looking for one day, as we said over and over again in Philippians, and I just feel, you know, it gets me excited to know that this isn't all there is and all the uncertainty in the world, especially today. Things continue to ramp up and there's a fevered pitch in the world and there's worry and there's doubt and there's anxiety and there's fear about what is happening. I can take comfort and solace in knowing that my God is in control. He's sovereign. He holds me in the palm of his hand, right? He sticks closer to me that no matter what's going on in this world, he is standing beside me, right? Holding me up. And that someday, no matter what happens here, I am going to be in his presence. And none of this will matter anymore. None of it. That's our hope. And that's where our joy comes from. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. Joying in the Lord. It takes sacrifice. Because we have to stop looking at all the negative and force ourselves to focus on the positive that God provides. Amen. And that's hard. It's harder for some more than others. There are some people that are by, uh, they're just naturally by dis disposition, positive people. My wife is one of those people. Thank God. Because if we were both like me, we'd be in trouble. But she's one of those people that sees the glasses half full. So it's easy for her, much, e much easier 
for her to see that positive good stuff. Me, on the other hand, I am that half empty. Everything's negative. Woe is me. The world's going to end. The sky is falling. It's all over person, right? Uh, but I have to make myself look at the good things. And my wife likes to make me look at the good things. Right? To help me focus on the good and not the negative. Because the truth of the matter is, is we get so caught up in the here and now and the physical that we are forgetting about the spiritual and the future. Amen. And that's where our focus has to be as things continue to progress in this world. And I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or where we'll be a year from now. The one thing that I do know is that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and one day I'm going to be in heaven. Right? And that's what I have to hold on to. And that is why we should rejoice. Because of the God that we serve. Because of who he is. Because of what he's done. And what he continues to do. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And what this here refers to is a, 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 a contentment with others. And showing others generosity. So it's living in contentment with others and demonstrating generosity to them. So he says, let your gentleness, he's saying, make sure that you live in peace with others. Right? He's saying, make sure that you're generous with others, not just with financial or material things, but also your time and your prayers. Right? Being generous. With one another, he says also uh, that that could refer to showing mercy and leniency to others, other brothers and sisters in Christ. That thing that I like to harp on, showing the same grace to others that we like shown to us, right? If we did that, uh, the church would be a much better place if we would show grace to others, if we would live in gentleness, right, to all who are around us. It would, it would change everything. There would be no more divisions. Why? Because we would prefer our brothers over ourselves and because we would forgive and because we would show leniency and grace, right? And mercy to others. We would allow room for their faults. Right? Because we all have them. We all have mistakes. We all have faults. We all have personality quirks that people don't like that rub folks the wrong way, right? Right? We all have those things, but what we do is we, uh, we leave room for those faults in our relationships, knowing that none of us are going to be perfect till we get to heaven. All of us are sinful. All of us make mistakes. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, right? All of us. And so we allow and we make allowances or we make, leave room is the way I want to say it. We make room for others' faults. We forgive quickly and we don't hold grudges. The freedom that we would have in ourselves and in the body of Christ if we would just simply forgive and not hold grudges. But boy, it's hard. It is hard to be gentle when you've been wronged. It is hard to be gentle when you feel like someone has deliberately hurt you. It is hard to forgive. It is hard to be generous. It is hard to do those things with someone who has wronged you, yet we are instructed to do so. And it's not a suggestion. It is a command by God himself. Paul didn't just do it, but Jesus Christ 
commanded it. Right? Whenever someone wrongs you, you forgive them. Peter said how many times? Jesus said basically infinity. Every time they wrong you, you forgive. And we are not to hold grudges. Not only are grudges a sin, but grudges destroy. Bitterness will eat us alive from the inside out like a cancer. A grudge will eat us alive from the inside out like a cancer. It will distort us, our vision. It will distort our ability to make wise decisions. It will distort our ability to have relationship with others. A grudge and bitterness will blind us, distort our vision completely to keep us from being able to see the truth, Right, And over time, it grows stronger and stronger and takes a larger root. And eventually, it will absolutely destroy us. And the only person we're hurting is ourselves. Right, The other person that has hurt us is still in the house of God. They're still worshiping God and many times don't even know they did anything wrong. Right, Of course, there are times when people do wrong us and they know that they did something wrong. We still are to forgive them. Well, there are many times that hurts start over something, an idle word, an idle action that was done not in malice, but is taken the wrong way. Uh, and it allows uh, 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 anger and resentment and bitterness to grow. And we can't live that way in the body of Christ. We have to confess, we have to forgive, and we have to move on and not hold grudges to live in gentleness. Let our forgiveness be generous. Let our prayers be generous, right? Let our time, let us be generous with those things. In our world today, time is something that we all have hold in such value and esteem because we're so busy and time is precious. We have our families and we have our jobs and we have our church and we have all of these things. Time is precious. But it is a resource that we are to be generous with, right? To talk to that person on the phone, to meet that person, to pray with that person, to pray for that person, to go to the hospital and visit them when you don't feel like it. I wish I could tell you that I was perfect in that regard, but I am not. I, I too get lazy. I too allow uh, things in my life to sometimes distract me, to decide that I don't have time. I, I work a full-time job just like either all or most of you. Uh, I, I work just like you guys. So I, I sometimes get distracted too by those things. So I understand, but we are to be gentle and we are to live in such a way that we are generous to others with all of our resources. Verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now verse six and verse seven are both tied together. But with verse six, he first says, be anxious for nothing. Anxiety typically is rooted in a lack of trust and faith in God. Or an inability to trust God with, with our, our circumstances, right? Uh, in, in our world today, we have so many distractions and so many things that can and do go wrong. Uh, so many questions that we have uh, that are presented to us on a daily and weekly, monthly, yearly basis 
that it can be hard to trust God sometimes. You know, we, we have allow ourselves to have fear and anxiety because uh, we're fearful that something is not going to go the way that we need it to go or want it to go or something is not going to work out the way that we have it planned. And so anxiety creeps in and all anxiety is rooted, rooted in a lack of faith and trust in God. We have to trust him. Some of us, it's, it's easier to overcome fear and worry and anxiety than others, right? And we have to make grace and make allowances for the people that struggle with fear and anxiety, right? Uh, but the bottom line is when it comes to those things, we have a responsibility to seek God. When fear and anxiety start to creep in, our first resource should be to go to God, yes. right? But how many of us actually don't do that? We wring our hands and we fret and we worry and we, you know, complain and we try to figure out how we're going to fix it ourselves. How am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to get the car fixed? How am I going to do this? And if you're like me, you can't sit still when those things are. Uh, if I get a call from someone that says I, I'm late on a bill and or I get something in the mail that says I missed something, uh, I can't. It, it kills me if it's after business hours and I have to wait till the next day. It drives me nuts that I have to wait because I want to fix it right then. Right? I want to get it taken care of right then, no matter what needs to happen. That's my personality. That's how I am. Right, And, and I will do. We uh, uh, needed a hot water heater. We have a home warranty, uh, but uh, I wanted to just get it fixed. Now, the home warranty, we had to schedule. The people had to come out. They had to look at it. They would have tried to fix it. If they couldn't fix it, then they would uh, send us a new hot water heater, but it would take days upon days. In fact, our experience had been weeks. Well, I didn't want to wait weeks for a new hot water heater. So I went and bought it. Uh, and like many of you, I, had to, I, I couldn't pay cash for it. I had to, I had to finance it because I was going to fix it myself instead of waiting and being patient. I'm telling you all this to tell you that I'm human too, just like you are. I get worried and I'm afraid things aren't going to get fixed. And I don't, I also make mistakes and don't have patience and wait. And so, but we all have a responsibility that when that comes up to, in our lives and we are faced with those challenges and those questions, our first recourse is not to uh, get worried and try to fix it ourselves. It's to get on our knees and seek God and pray. And let him give us guidance and direction. Many of times we don't, oh, we don't see God work miracles because we don't wait for God to work a miracle. We don't see God intervene and do things because we don't wait. We done made it a mess. We done did just good enough. Right? Instead of waiting God to do what is according to his perfect will, and we make bigger messes, which cause more anxiety and worry and doubt and fear. Right? When you and I try to fix it ourselves and not trust God, we just make it worse, and it just increases exponentially our fear and our doubt and our worry. 
And so our first job when you and I experience fear and doubt and worry and any situation in our lives should be to turn to Christ. Because he says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we are invited over and over and over again in scripture to pray, to talk to our father, to speak to him, to let him know what's hurting us, what we're worried about, what's bothering us, what we're experiencing, to make requests. That's what supplication is. To talk to him, to ask him for stuff. But here's the key. We are to do so with what? Thanksgiving. So when you and I approach our Father in heaven, we are to do so with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. Bottom line is, is that we always defer to his will and are grateful for what he's already done. We do not treat God like a genie in a bottle. We do not treat him like Santa Claus. We are not to treat him like he is someone who just is there to hand us cash when we need cash or to give us whatever we want when we want it. We are to approach him reverentially with fear and with thanksgiving and gratitude, not selfishly, self-centeredly, and pridefully. Unfortunately, many of us approach God with pride in our hearts, right? A request on our lips and a demand to he do something. And that is not the way that we are to approach the Father. We are to approach him. He invites us. God wants to talk to you. God wants to hear you. He wants to hear what bothers you. He wants to hear what's hurting you. He wants you to come to him and say, God, this person is getting on my nerves. He wants you to come to him and say, God, I am worried about how I'm going to pay this bill. He wants you to go to him and say, God, I am afraid and I'm scared. He wants to talk to us. He wants you to ask him for stuff. But he wants you to do so and he wants me to do so with a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude and with respect and reverence. So whenever you and I approach God, we must do so thankfully, gratefully. Understanding that if, listen, if he never does another thing for any of us, well, that's okay. Because he did enough when Jesus Christ died upon the cross and rose again. And he gave me salvation. He forgave my sins. So if he never does another thing for me ever or for you ever, that should be enough. More than enough, right? More than enough that my name is written in that Lamb's book of life, that I am a citizen in heaven. If he never does another thing for me. So every time I approach him, it should be so in an attitude of gratefulness and thankfulness. Thank you, God, for having mercy on me, a sinner. Thank you, God, for every day having mercy and your mercy being new every morning. Thank you, God, for your long suffering towards me because I know that I don't deserve to be where I'm at. Pain and trials and tribulations and all, I still shouldn't be here for those blessings that you've shown me. A roof over my head and a clothes on my back and shoes on my feet and food on my table and the car that you've given me to drive and that job that sometimes I hate. I'm still thankful for it because I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it, but you gave it to me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. 
Christians, we need to realize, saints, that we haven't earned anything. That it is God who gives it. It is His grace and His mercy that you have everything and I have everything that I have. He owes me nothing. Yet He gives it liberally. We're not to spend our days lusting after what others have and craving others' blessings. But we must be grateful for the blessings that God has shown us. Because when I look at what I deserve, I don't deserve anything. I've lived a life in times of rebelliousness and anger and bitterness. If I got what I deserved, and I do not say this dramatically, I will tell you, I would not be standing here today. I would be dead. If I got what I deserved, I would be suffering. If I got what I deserved, I would not have what I have today. If we were honest with each other, and we look at our lives and what we have done, and our sin and our rebelliousness and our mistakes, it should be easy to recognize the mercy and the grace and the hand of God that is guided and protected and provided. Look at your life and look for the times that God has moved and provided and taken care of you and your family and tell them, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Right now it hurts, but I thank you anyway. I offer you a sacrifice of praise. I thank you, God. I lay my oh, I lay myself upon the altar. I surrender my life and myself to you. Because you're worthy and you're deserving. Of all praise and all honor and all glory. There is none like you, God. So in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He wants to know. He wants to hear. Do not be ashamed uh, do not be afraid to talk to your God. He wants to hear. He wants to know what's on your heart. He wants to hear what you have to say. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If we live our lives trusting in God, that when we face Anxiety and fear. Our first resource is to go to God in prayer. To pray in supplication and with thanksgiving. If we will do those things, and it ain't easy, and we're not going to be perfect every time, and that's why we, we, we you know, have people in our lives to help us when we're spiraling out of control and fear and anxiety to take us by the hand and pray with us, right? But if we are living our lives striving to trust God, that relationship with him, recognizing what he's already done, praying and going to him first, 
That is when we are promised the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Listen, God promises peace, but not while we're living in rebelliousness. God promises peace, but he will not give peace in sin. God will give peace to you. A supernatural peace that does not make sense to you or to man. It is hard for me to explain it to you. But there, when you experience the peace of God in that way, it is such a warm, comforting presence where you just know that you know that you know that your God's in control and it's going to be okay. It happens. I can tell you it happens because I have experienced it in my life where for no discernible reason, when looking at the, the world and the circumstance, I should have any peace. That somehow there is a peace, that there is no worry, there's no doubt, there's no fear, just knowing that God has got it under control and that he loves me, he has my best interests at heart and that he has a plan and a purpose that's bigger than me. Right? That's the peace that he will give us that peace that cannot be explained because it doesn't make sense. It goes against everything we know as human beings. That's the peace that surpasses all of man's understanding. It just doesn't make sense. So he will let the peace of God, he will give us that peace of God and he will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, the Greek word translated guard there literally means to watch over. And that when he says hearts and minds, he's not talking, making a distinction. He's not distinguishing between hearts and minds. What he's saying is from A to Z, all of us, like right, all of who you are, your worries, your doubts, your fears, what you're facing, everything. He's going to guard all of you from A to Z. All of you. He's watching over all of you. All of me. Listen, God knows every fear, every doubt, every tear that you've cried. He knows everything that's on your mind. He knows everything about you. He hears every prayer that you pray audibly or in your heart and mind. He knows, right? He hears all of those things. He knows all of those things. And he wants us to trust in him and he will watch over us. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope to know that he is guarding me. Amen. He is watching over me. Yes. Like that lighthouse on the shore that is warning those ships of the danger to come. Christ is that lighthouse that's saying, hey, I'm watching over you. Keep your right. I'm watching it for you. I'm keeping an eye out for you. And that guard tower, that is that big, sturdy structure, right? Where they're watching out over the city, watching out over the, the, the people to protect them and to look out for the enemy and to look out for where, you know, hurt and pain and things can come from. God is doing all of that, watching over us. And he will ensure that we are saturated with peace. It's there for us. He wants to give it to us. 
He wants us to have it. He, it probably breaks his heart when you and I are not living right in peace. But it all starts with putting our faith and our trust in him. So that means when you and I face anxiety and fear, the first thing we do is we go to him and we say, God, I need your help. Be honest with him, be reverent and be grateful. And God will give you peace. He promises it in his word. But it all starts with trusting him. Let us stand. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month, we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach the loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 224. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.